Thanks. Hi, everybody. I'm Katya. I'm an alcoholic. Hi. Um, first, I want to um, thank Pej for asking me to do this. And it really is an honor. And, and just say hi to everybody. Um, I'm having horrible internet problems. So I'm on my phone. And I'm also I also have the screen on my computer so I can see you all and not just stare at myself. So um, thank you all for, you know, for those of you that have your camera on that can have your camera on, thank you, um, because this is awkward. It just doesn't get um, easier to do this, uh, even though it's been, we've been doing it for quite some time. Um, so I, I don't know if I said I'm an alcoholic, but I, I'm an alcoholic and I got sober October 10th of 1988 when I was 20 years old and, and I um, welcome to our new friends and, and happy birthday um, to Lauren. You know, when you guys read, they stopped in time. Um, I was like, that's awesome because that's one of, I, I tend to sponsor a lot of young um, women and I tend to sponsor a lot of young women that don't think they're alcoholic and, uh, but they definitely know they're a drug addict and um and that's one of the pages that we read about. And, uh, and, and most people I talk to don't even know that page is there. So I'm very impressed. Laguna Group, very impressed. Good job. Um, you know, so, uh, and, and thank you, Kim, for sharing. It's funny, you know, Kim and I have some, uh, you know, I'm 32, she's 34 years sober. Uh, she was violent, I'm violent. So sorry, it's not gonna be that, you know, different. It is what it is. Um, you know, so my father is uh, Persian. My mom's Danish. I was born in Denmark, moved to L.A. when I was about three or so. And um, what I remember about myself was I was shy. I was introverted. Um, by the time I was in first grade, I hated um, recess. I hated um lunchtime. I hated anything that was like social hour. And I used to, um, during one of those times, one of those breaks, I used to uh, go pick ladybugs. Um, I was a loner. I'd go pick ladybugs and put them in this little container with holes in it so they could breathe and not die. And at the end of the day, I'd let them out. And this is what I did every day. Um, I didn't play sports with the other kids. Um, and, and I was an only child and, and we lived in an apartment building in Las Feliz and, and I would play in my room for hours and to the point where my parents would be like, are you in there? And I, and I always loved having the door closed and they'd open the door and, and I would just be playing. And, um, you know, and I, I remember asking my mom for an older brother and she tried to explain to me why she couldn't make me one. And I didn't understand. And, um, when I was in uh, the summer after first grade, we, we connected with a family. The father and my dad were related and they grew up together in Iran and him and his wife had three kids and we all of a sudden became this blended family. And so it was like, I all of a sudden had an extra mom and dad. Um, I had an older brother, an older sister. Uh, she was four years older than me. He was three years older than me. And then they had a baby that was born when I was seven. And their parents had accents like mine. They spoke different languages like mine. They ate funny food like mine. All their kids had funny names like mine and their kids knew how to pronounce my name. Um, and, um, and I was so happy. I was like, dog. 
I was like, this is perfect. I got my older brother. I got my older sister. I mean, I didn't much care for the baby, you know, because all he was doing was pooping, but you know, it was fine. And, um, and we did everything with this family and this was perfect. This was perfect. I just got through school until we could spend the weekends with this family. And, um, and, and, uh, alcoholism hadn't shown itself yet. And, um, that family and that family, there was a ton of violence and, you know, um, and I changed my personality changed. That was the beginning of, or the middle of first grade ish. And by the time I'm in second grade, um, I'm the kid that talks too much in class. I'm too loud. I'm, uh, cause I'm making disruptions. I have a host of friends. Everybody wants to hang out with me. I'm the ringleader. Um, the first time I hit a kid, I, uh, I, I took what was in this girl's lunchbox and she told on me and I flipped her outside of class. And, and I remember flipping her. I remember the wind getting knocked out of her. And I remember, um, looking at her going, well, you won't tell on me now. And, you know, like just made sense to me. And I mean, I had a complete personality change. And I talk about that because personality changes happen have nothing to do with alcoholism, but in that house, you know, that's where the experimentation with drugs and alcohol started. When our parents went out, we started experimenting. And, um, you know, my first drunk, I think I was 11 years old and it was scotch and water all night. And I puked all night. It was my first night having my face on the toilet seat and liking it. And um, so it wasn't like some great evening. But I remember the next day saying to her, when can we do this again? And that was my thing. I was just like, when can I get adjusted again? And, and I didn't care about the adjustment. So we took pills. We took all kinds of pills. And some brought you up and some brought you down. And that was fine. And some things we took, I hallucinated. That was fine, too. I mean, I didn't particularly like it. But just anything. I was like a little human you know, garbage can and and I also knew that I was in elementary school. She was in junior high. And I knew this wasn't normal. Um, I wasn't raised like this. There, there was not, um, you know, alcoholism and drug addiction that I, that I saw in my family. There were, you know, fancy Persians and Mercedes and, and houses on hills. And I didn't see this. But for whatever reason, I was, you know, I was happy to do it. And um so I, so when I was in elementary school, I remember thinking I'm just ahead of the game that everybody that's cool does this. I'm just a little bit ahead of the game. And, um, by the time I got into junior high, I, and I was always chubby and I hated being chubby and, um, and I didn't know how to fix that. And I got into junior high and I found speed and I was like, there we go. This is perfect. Right. It's not on your breath. Your eyes don't get funny. Like weed does. Um, like this is perfect. No one. And I, I already talked a lot and I already talked fast. So no one could tell. I started dropping weight. I was so happy. I'd never been so happy with a drug. And, um, but here's my experience with drugs. I would do a drug. I would do it for a while. And somehow that drug would turn on me and I'd stop the drug. So therefore not a drug addict. And so what speed did was it gave me a heart murmur and, um, I ended up uh, going to the hospital and running a bunch of tests and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And, and I knew what it was. I knew it was the speed. And I asked a nurse on the side when my dad wasn't around, I said, could it be the speed um, that's causing my heart, you know, to freak out. And, uh, and I remember she, and I don't normally cuss, 
but she goes, you little bitch. And I was like, excuse you. And um, she said, yes, that's what it is. Stop doing it. And I did just like that. Stop. Um, now, I, I didn't get sober, but I stopped doing speed. And, and there was always alcohol in between whenever I could get to it. And, and I, I did pot for like a minute, but it made me want to eat the fridge. So I was like, no pot. And um, I mean, to this day, when people are like, I'm a pothead, I'm like, how are you not 3 million pounds? And they deliver it to your house now. So you could have food delivered and pot delivered. I'd be the, you know, 600 pound person. They'd have to cut a wall out to get me out. But anyway, so, so I get into to high school. And by the time I get into high school, I'm all the way a fighter. I am, rage is my middle name. And um, I'm like a wild dog. And I get into, into high school and, and, and the pressure was a lot for me. What are you wearing? Who are you dating? What car are you driving? This was my pressure. I, I never opened a book. I was dyslexic and I didn't know it. And um, I, uh, I was just trying to, to just make it. And I remember, you know, when I was in junior high, the idea of bringing alcohol to school was like, no way you get busted in a minute. Now I'm in high school, I'm bringing alcohol to school. And I don't remember thinking twice about it. I don't remember twice thinking oh, not a good idea. You know, and, and the thing about alcoholism I've learned is, you know, red lights turn green really easy in our mind. And um, so I'm bringing alcohol to school just to tolerate school when I'm there, which is barely. I'm on probation at school. If I get in one more fight, I get kicked out. I'm now carrying a crowbar while I'm driving and a switchblade at all times because I've gotten in so many fights. I'm now paranoid that someone's going to get retribution. And, um, you know, when I drink, I'm angry. When I don't drink, I'm angry. Like, I don't, I, I don't remember alcohol fixing me. But I think it helped me tolerate how I felt to an extent. Because when I got like good drunk, you know, where I'm not puking yet, I'm not blacked out yet. But I'm not trying to control it either. I had many times I tried to control my drinking because I had to be home. My dad would have all the lights on. Where were you? What did you do? He'd come really close and try to breathe me. And um, he was like a detective. And uh, so when I wasn't controlling it and I wasn't puking, so somewhere in the, that, <laughs> that sweet middle, I remember the feeling of, I don't care. And I just wanted to get to, I don't care. But I could never quite, I always overshot the mark um, or I was trying to control it. So I was having two drinks and uh, because I had to be home at a certain time or whatever. And when I had two drinks, I got in way more fights than when I was drunk and I'm barely graduating high school. And it was the first time that I made the conscious decision to change. I said, I want to go be different. I, I, uh, I want to become a lady. I definitely wasn't a lady, but I had a lot of ladies in my, in my family and I knew what ladies look like. And I wanted to become a lady. I wanted to go to college. It sounded like a great idea, right? Go to college, get good grades. Yes. I'm going to apply myself, um, for real this time and, uh, maybe find a nice Jewish boy. My dad was Jewish, so that would make him happy. And you've never really heard of a bad Jewish boy. So I'm going to go find a nice Jewish boy and uh, we'll get married and have one, maybe two kids. And this was the plan. This was the plan. And it wasn't a crazy idea. It wasn't a crazy plan. And from 17 to 19, I went to four different junior colleges and I didn't get any grades. 
um, or credits. I had a horrible cocaine habit um, that landed me in the hospital. And then I, I had quit cocaine on my own. Uh, I'm living in an apartment that's paid for by some old creepy guy from Boston. I have no electricity, nor do I care. I'm drinking every day now. Uh, I'm getting in a fight the minute I step out of the house. So none of my friends will hang out with me. And um, uh, I had a boyfriend. I had another, I had a, while well, I had the Boston boyfriend, I had a boyfriend at home that was beating me up. And, um, and I would have told you, you know, it's, he loves me so much. He can't contain his passion and his jealousy. And, um, you know, it's just like every, every, yeah, but I had done it. And I was, I was in the, yeah, buts and I was in the, I'll never, and I was doing them. And, um, and in that moment, if you stopped me and said, Katya, do you think alcohol is a problem? I would have, or, or alcohol is the reason why all these things are happening to you. And I would have told you, no, it's the boyfriend. It's my mom. Right. If my mom would have been a good Jewish, uh, a good Persian mother, my life would have been different. Well, my mother's from freaking Denmark, so that's not physically possible. Um, my mom's drinking bothered me. So it's her. I'm not even at home, but it's her. It's the boyfriend. It's the job that made me take a lie detector test. How dare they? Lie detector tests aren't even admissible in court. But I was dealing cocaine in their dressing room and I was stealing from them. So maybe that's why the lie detector test failed. I don't know. But it was definitely everybody else's fault. And um, I convinced a group of girlfriends to come over and um, go uh, not drink and um, go dancing. And I promised these like no fighting promise. And they came over. I lit candles. We had champagne. And that's me not drinking literally this is me saying I'm not drinking I drink champagne because how I normally drink is just some hard liquor chased with some diet coke that's it that's how I do that's how I drink so I'm having champagne and one girl's not drinking and then we we head to the liquor store because we're underage so we gotta buy booze before we get to the club so we I stop and, and I, um, I get wine coolers that's another version of me not drinking and um this girl's not drinking and her name's Crystal. And, and I asked her why, and she says she's sober. And I, and I had heard something about adult children of alcoholics or Al-Anon or something. I'd heard it in a health class. So I asked her if she could help me get my mom sober. Cause I really believed if my mom got sober, my life would be different. And she said, yeah, I can take you. It's called Al-Anon. And, and so um, we got to the club. I got in a fight the minute I got in that club. And um, we left and uh, I started calling Crystal and I started going to meetings with her. Now we, we meant to go to the Al-Anon meeting by accident. We ended up in the AA meeting and I liked being in the AA meeting. And I think denial is, and delusion is a beautiful thing because I got to hang out in AA for two months. Absolutely convinced that I am not an alcoholic, but this is so good for you guys. So I got to hang out in AA for two months, not be sober. I wasn't super drunk. Either. I mean, I didn't come to meetings drunk. I don't know what I did when I wasn't with Crystal. I'm sure I did. I drank, but um, I got to come to meetings without any pressure, without any, what do I have to do? I didn't have to do anything. I was a guest. I was visiting and um, I would ask Crystal hundreds of questions. By this time, she's about between nine, 90 days and six months sober. And I'd ask her all the, what is the Lord's prayer? And why do you hold hands? And what do you do with the moment of silence? And what kind of God? And she, you know, she'd say, whatever God you want it to be. I'm like, what do you mean? 
I'm like, does it have to be Jesus? And she said, well, if you want it to be. And I'd never heard of any kind of religion where it could be Jesus or not. And so I was like, what? And because I heard God and to me, God means religion. And so I was like, well, that's cool. So, you know, and I asked and she was trying to work her steps. And what do you mean amends? And what is this? And I just asked her stuff for two months. I had moved back home. And I heard a voice as loud as day. And I had been, I had not done cocaine in seven months. And I heard a voice as loud as day that said, you're going to use cocaine again. And I was terrified. And so I called Crystal and I said, I want to join. And she said, okay, you just have to raise your hand. And I went to a meeting that night. I, I raised my hand and I said I was an alcoholic and an addict, but I knew I wasn't an alcoholic because I could recall times that I controlled it. And when I went to meetings, what I heard, and I don't know if this is really what was being said, but you know, your hearing is, is based on your perception. So what you hear is what you hear. What I heard was everybody getting sober at 40 years old plus, and them saying, I drank a fifth a day. And I didn't even know what a fifth was, you know, sometimes, you know, just I bought booze when I could. And if not, I drank your booze, but I would hear that. And I would think, well, not me therefore not an alcoholic. And I thought alcoholism had to do with the quantity and the frequency. And I didn't know that alcoholism has to do with how restless, irritable, and discontent I am in my skin when I'm not drinking. And the thinking that I have that tells me alcohol is going to solve my problem. And so, um, I got a sponsor right away. Her name's Mary Shaw. She's still sober to this day. She just celebrated 39 years of sobriety. She's in Kentucky. Um, so Mary had about six years sober at the time. And she, and I picked her because she was cool, really. That's, I mean, how do you know what to pick when you're new? Um, but little did I know she was a secret big book thumper. And, um, and so I'm really grateful that my first sponsor took me through the book word for word, line from line with a dictionary, had me do a shit ton of writing. Um, and, and, and real in-depth um, looking. And, and so I didn't know any better, right? I just thought this is how everybody does it. I mean, I came to find out later, people were like, you know, just let it go. And I'm like, what? But anyway, so, you know, I'm so grateful that she taught me about the history of AA. She said, if you're going to be in AA, know the history of it. If you're, if you're going to call yourself a member, she would talk it like member, like what's a member. I want to be a member. And, and so I, I started to, to have like personal, um, like I started to feel like AA was mine, you know, that, that the home group I went to, that was my home group. And, and I'm the literature person on this night. And I, you know, and, and we don't mess around in the half measures room during the meeting. And I started taking it really seriously. And I also started to feel relief very quickly, very quickly. And we got to the part in the big book that says, um, I think it's chapter three where it says uh, we admitted to our innermost self that we were alcoholic and, and Mary closed the book drama like and said, so do you? And I couldn't lie to Mary. And I said, no, no, I could control it. There were times I didn't drink every day. You know, I had all these, this is why I'm not an alcoholic. And she asked me to um, go home and write on my drinking experiences only. And I was convinced there would always be drugs. And, um, but I, I always, I did everything she asked me to do. And, um, 
And I went home and I wrote on my drinking experiences only, no drugs. And I was shocked to see how much there was. And, and I got to see the allergy. And the way that my allergy shows up is two ways. One, I have a horrible weekend of drinking. Horrible, right? Horrible things happen to me physically. Horrible. And I go, no more. And I tell all my friends, I don't need to drink to have fun. And I don't, I go to a party, I don't drink. Now I am a B at that party, but I'm not drinking. And then the next thing you know, I'm at another party and I'm drinking. There's no thought. There's no rationalization. There's, I'm drinking as if I, well, I always drink. And until somebody would say to me, I thought you weren't drinking. And I was a bully. So I was like, I thought you mind your business. And then they would shut up and then I would continue drinking and I would never think twice about it. I completely forgot that I said I wasn't drinking. So that's one. The other is I go to the party or the hangout or the whatever and I want to drink and I'm going to drink. And now I've drank enough that my legs are wobbly, but I'm walking. My speech is slurring, but I'm talking. My eyes are a little fuzzy, but I can see. And I feel awesome. And I'm at the perfect drunk and I should not have one more drink. I should not. And something happens where it's like someone turns a light switch on and says, drink, 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 drink. And all of a sudden I'm drinking all the half drunk beer bottles that are on the table, or I'm going in the fridge, I'm guzzling whatever's in that fridge as if I'm thirsty. And I, there's no thought, there's no, there's nothing. I don't know why I'm drinking like this. Actually, I'm not even thinking when I'm drinking like this. And I throw myself into puking or blackout or whatever. And I have no reason for that drinking. And so I got to see the allergy and I needed to see the allergy. It wasn't enough that I identified with the feelings. It wasn't enough that I identified with the rest of the cerebral and discontent. None of that, that was not enough. And I'm grateful. I'm extremely grateful to Mary for that. Um, because, you know, she, she described the steps like building a house and that, that steps one, two, and three were my foundation. And if that foundation is not solid, that you can have the best wood, the best roof, the best windows, it's all going to fall apart. And she's right, because almost everybody that I got sober with, we got sober because young, because we did drugs and drugs kicked our butt quick. And, um, but we didn't think we were alcoholic and everybody that I got sober with got drunk. They all went out thinking they could, they could drink and um, crystal included. And uh, crystal had about four years. The first time she went out, she got two years, she went out again and she was never able to come back. And um, you know, crystal overdosed a year ago, December. And the scariest thing for me was, you know, watching crystal on Facebook, watching she, she seemed crazy and um and she looked bad and sounded bad and that was my biggest fear not that I would go out and die I don't think you can scare an alcoholic about death but that I would go out and live and have to shuck and jive and I'd probably have a couple kids and a couple baby daddies in jail and just try to figure it out and um you know and 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 I, I did little things to hold on to get, staying sober. You know, it, it, there weren't a ton of young people when I got sober. There were a good chunk, but not a ton. And um, I would look for the old timers that got sober young. And I didn't care if they were crazy. 
I didn't care how they live. I just was like, I remember there was one woman, she wasn't crazy. Her name was Marie S and she got sober at 18 and she had about 40 years sober. And I just, was, I would see her in a meeting. I'd go, okay, she's sober. I'm sober. Great. It's possible because it was hard getting sober and staying sober so young when all your friends are out there getting loaded. And um, there was another guy, Marty S he got sober at 15 and I would see him and I'm like, he's, so he's got about 15 years more sober than me. So I would see him. I'm like, Marty's still, I'd see him about every five years, you know, I'd be like, okay, it's possible. And, um, you know, I, I went through the steps with Mary. Uh, I went through my amends. I had amazing amends experience. I started to change and that's, I'll never forget Mary saying to me one day, I, I was the 10 minute speaker before, um, you know, the, the story uh, we accept, uh, acceptance is the answer. And that's, his name was, I believe, Dr. Paul. And uh, I was the 10 minute speaker when he came and spoke at my home group. And I was so honored. I was like beyond honored. And when I spoke, I cried. And um, I remember, and I was only a couple years sober. And I remember saying to Mary, like, what's wrong with me? And she said, I think you're becoming the lady you've always wanted to become. I was like, how did she know? Cause I spent so much time trying to be the tough girl. And, and, and I did, I did want to become a lady. I did want to grow. I did want to change. I wanted to grow up gracefully. And, and I, and I, I didn't do it perfectly, but I got to do that in AA. And, you know, Mary moved when I had um, three and a half years sober, she moved to Kentucky. And back then there's no cell phone. I mean, she moved, that's it. And uh, so I had to get a new sponsor and you know, and what started happening for me and, and I, and I see other people go through it, um, is I started putting AA last. And, uh, so, um, because I started to feel like I've got it, you know, I started to feel like, um, you know, like I got to focus on this job. I got to focus on rent. I got an apartment now. I got a dog. I got a car. I got to focus on that. I got to, but, you know, I can't go to meetings every day and I can't do like what I did when I was new and I would rationalize slowly moving away from AA. I never left AA, but I'd slowly move away. And as I moved away, my restlessness, my irritability and my discontent started to come out. I started living in the bedevilments. I started not getting along with people. I started having trouble making a living. I mean, like literally it was like the big book was like, guess what's going to happen? And that's what was happening. And then um, my tissue would fall off. I'd lose a job, lose a boyfriend, lose something. And then I'd come back and get in the middle of AA. I never left AA, but I'd get right in the middle. And I'd be like, you need a cleanup person? I'm your cleanup person. You need a coffee person? I got the coffee greeter. I'm her. Newcomers, come with me. Panels, got you. And I would, so I would just ramp up my AA again. And I uh, get a new sponsor and uh, that sponsor would say, well, we got to start at the beginning. And I go, okay. And um, I'm a great starter. And um, me and that new sponsor, we, we'd, we'd have to now clean up some of the mess I made sober. So now I'm cleaning up a new mess now. And uh, we get probably to step nine and, and I'm going to clean up that mess. And, and before you know it, I start feeling a little bit better. I start feeling a little less desperate. The job becomes important. I start pulling away from AA again. And it's so slow and it's so subtle. It takes every five years. About every five years, I hit a bottom in AA. And, and I don't even see the pattern. I can't see a pattern. If, if I'm in it, can't see the pattern. If you're in it, I can tell you your pattern. And um, 
so now I'm, I'm 19 years sober and um, I've accomplished big things and I've had big jobs and I'm married and I've driven Mercedes and I've got a house and blah, blah, blah. And those things are fabulous. Actually, they, they make you feel great, but not consistently. And um, because so like getting a fat paycheck is freaking great, right? Like it would make me feel great and getting married. Great. Um, you know, all those things, they were great. And so my happiness was, was in, in alignment with what was happening outside of my life. And, um, but now I'm 19 years sober. I've lost that best job I ever had at the time. Um, because I don't get along with people and, um, my husband and I aren't doing well. Um, and I need, I need a new sponsor and, um, I'm going to a lady's house. She was my sponsor for a year and she, we were doing the four column inventory and she'd say, well, do you see where you're selfish and self-centered? And, and I, at, you're 19, right? So you got to say, yes, I see it. And she'd go, okay, then I go, all right, then. And then I'd leave the house crazier than when I got there. And, um, I start thinking maybe, maybe something extra is wrong with me. You hear people say summer sicker than others. I'm like, maybe I'm a summer sicker, but if I'm a summer sicker, is there another book? Um, because everybody's got the same book and this book isn't working for me. I had been through that book a hundred times. I've been through inventory. I don't even know how many times, um, I started thinking maybe I need therapy, maybe, um, and I, I'm not against therapy at all, but just so you know, my path to therapy would be therapy and then pills and then out. I, and I know that for me. And um, so I knew this was really dangerous thinking and I, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know what was going on and I didn't know what was wrong with me. And, um, and I was still violent. I wasn't acting on my violence, but I was violent. You know, you'd cross me what I would perceive as crossing you would cross me. And in my mind, I'd be like, if only I could straighten you out physically, you'll never talk to me that way. And so I was still quite violent in my mind. And, um, and um, I met a woman who had sponsored two of my friends and my friends had changed drastically and they were the living example. Um, I didn't so much, I wasn't a huge fan of this woman and I had known her. Um, I wasn't a big fan of hers, but my two friends had changed so much. I'm like, well, they can't be lying. So I asked her to sponsor me. And um, her name was Linda J. She just passed away about a month ago. Um, and, and, you know, she's like, get a new big book and we're going to go through the book. And I thought, I know this book. Uh, okay, fine. And the only thing that I had was willingness. That's the only thing I had. I had arrogance. I had all kinds of other caca but at least I was willing. And I got that new book and she started showing me how that book talks about this way of life and this way of living. And I had never seen that before. And she talked to me about my alcoholism today. And I was always stuck in alcoholism as in the allergy. And she talked about how the real problem of the alcoholic centers in the mind. And she said, you need a new mind. And I said, how do I get one of those? And we started going through the steps and and uh, I remember when we started going through inventory, you know, we have the column for, for, for character uh, defects, right? And then we had a column for contrary action. And the contrary action was extremely contrary to what my defects were. And they were action-oriented things I had to do. It wasn't like 
let go, let God, or just pray about it. Like I had to do things. And she told me if I didn't do what I wanted to do, which is my defects, she said, that's step six, not doing what I want to do. And if I do what I don't want to do, which is the contrary action, I don't want to do those things. They're scary. They're, they're out of my comfort zone. They're foreign. But if I live in the contrary action, so step seven, doing what I don't want to do, she said, I will get a new mind. And that was a huge promise for just another alcoholic to say. And what started happening was I started changing. And I mean, and I really started changing. And the weirdest thing was, is my marriage fell apart. I lost the house. I had lost the job. I'm now living in a guest house where my bedroom is in the kitchen. I'm paying for my groceries with a credit card because I'm not making enough money to eat. I have a Mercedes, but it's a 12-year-old Mercedes without air conditioning in Woodland Hills. So that's like driving in hell. And um, I'm 20 years sober. And my outsides look like crap. And I woke up one morning and I remember feeling happy, not like e happy, but like content, happy. And I remember thinking I must be crazy. Now I'm going crazy, right? How could you be happy when you have no money, no food, no nothing? And I called her and I said, Linda, am I going crazy? And she said, no, honey, I think you're having a spiritual experience. I think your insides are starting to finally match your outsides. And I've been so good at dressing up the outsides, you know, that I, I never even realized that. And, you know, and, and she talked to me about putting AA first and, and basically had me like write a contract. And, you know, I committed to three meetings a week, no matter what, no matter what, these were my committed meetings. And that's easy to do when you don't have a job. But once I had a job and that job said, you know, hey, we'd like you to stay late Thursday night. Thursday night's my committed book study. And I'd have to say, gosh, I'm so sorry, I can't. That was the scariest thing for me to do because in my mind, they go, we're going to replace you. You're replaceable. And, and, and I, I thought I could never say no to a job. And, uh, cause money was and job and power and prestige. A job was my higher power. And, you know, so I started saying, no, I remember I, I, I had a job for eight years and every Thursday, this uh, client of ours would come in from Chicago and every Thursday night, they go out to dinner. Now, it wasn't every week, but when they came, it was always on a Thursday. And then they, they'd invite me to dinner. And every Thursday, every time they were there, I said, gosh, I'm so, I can't. I have a commitment in Sherman Oaks. And for years, they were like, what's this commitment? Is she having margaritas with the girls? What? They always wanted to know what my commitment was. And I never went to dinner with them. And I worked there for eight years. And I left. They didn't fire me. I left. And um, so I learned how to put AA first, no matter what. And, um, and, and that AA wasn't just my meetings, but then I started sponsoring. I started sponsoring like my life depended on it. And I learned more from sponsoring people than they learned from me because I would get a resentment. I would call my sponsor. I'd have to do a 10 step. I didn't know how hard sponsorship was. Sponsorship is really hard because I'm involved, you know, and I have emotion and I have ego and I have God playing and I have all kinds of stuff intertwined with sponsoring. And I don't even know that. And so she taught me how to be a sponsor. I made more amends to sponsees um, than I did in, after doing my inventory. And um, you want to be humbled, make amends to your sponsees. Tell them you're wrong. Tell them you don't know. And I did it. And I changed. I started to change 
in ways that I, I barely recognize myself and, but in a good way. And, um, you know, from, uh, 19 years sober to now, uh, nothing has changed in that area that sponsors are still extremely important to me and sponsorship is important to me having a sponsor being a sponsor being active in my meetings COVID or no COVID that doesn't change for me you know my commitment to AA doesn't change and it's shocking to me how many people I talk to I'm like are you going to meetings oh I just can't seem to connect on Zoom I'm like sister nobody connects on Zoom but we do it anyways like what are you talking about of course it's not the same as being in a meeting but you know, but I'm like, what? Well, maybe they're not alcoholic, right? People that can just not do AA and stay sober. I'm like, you might not be an alcoholic. There's heavy drinkers here. You know, uh, I'm alcoholic. So I become restless, irritable and discontent. If I'm not getting out of myself, putting you first, putting the meeting first, putting sponsors first, doing all of that. And, um, you know, I, I needed to make a change in sponsorship and I knew it three years ago. And I was afraid and I was terrified, which is sign number one. I'm over-dependent on a person. And that wasn't Linda's fault. That was my fault. And um, it was time for a change. And I knew it. I knew it in my gut. And I talked about it to some old timers. And I just knew it, but I just wouldn't make the change. And um, I, I finally did um, a year ago, July. And, um, you know, and, and, and it's so funny. It's like when the, what is it? When the student's ready, the teacher appears. Paula Parton is my sponsor. And I met her at a convention on Mother's Day a year prior to that. And when she spoke, it was like she cut my insides open. And I don't usually get that move from speakers. And maybe because I live in LA and we hear so many of them, but I got her number and I, and I, and I watched her that weekend. And, and I'm a watcher, even though I talk a lot, I'm watching you. You know, and I don't really care what you say from the podium. I'm watching how do you treat the person next to you. And, and I watched her that weekend and she was a lot of love and a lot of fun and she was happy. And, um, and um, so I, I, I talked to her for almost a year before I asked her to sponsor me. And, and she talked to me for fun and for free. She never was like, hey, you got a sponsor. Why are you talking to me? Nothing. She just took my calls when she could spent time with me on the phone. She even came to LA and we spent a day together in Long Beach. And that's, I didn't know, you know, and it's like, you don't know what you don't know until you look back in retrospect. But for someone like me who doesn't trust that easy, um, and I take that sponsorship relationship so deep, I needed a year to get to know her. I needed a year to just, you know, slowly get to know her. And, and you know, and I asked her to sponsor me last um, July and and you know what she said to me? She said two things that blew me out of the water. She was, oh, honey, I'd love to. And she said it in such a way that I was like, is she happier about this than me? And then she said, I want you to know something. We, we do this shoulder to shoulder, side by side. She says, I'm not in front of you and you're not, you're not behind me. I never know if you're going to need to lift me up. And I came from a different kind of AA. I came from sponsor lineage and I came from, you know, grand sponsor and great grand sponsor and this one. And, you know, and, and, and look, that may work for some people. I do have a great grand. I mean, obviously Paula has a sponsor who's Polly Pistol, but, but there's none of this um, hierarchy. We're, we're shoulder to shoulder and thank you. And, and, um, and it's exactly what I needed when I needed it. And I started going through the steps with Paula as well. And, 
you know, um, I mean, here I am, right? I'm 52 years old. I'm 32 years sober. And, um, and I'm happy on the inside. And that's, that's what I wanted from drugs and alcohol. I wanted to be comfortable in my skin. And for the most part, I have been, especially since I was 19 years sober, you know, putting AA first and doing the work and going through the big book and taking others through the book um, and putting God in AA first, everything else has worked out. So I want to thank you guys for having me. Thank you again, Tej. And I'll see you guys soon.